Our good friends at Johnny O welcome you to this episode. And if you've listened to Rich Take on Sports, then you know two things are important. Sharing the impact of sports in people's lives and the Johnny O clothing brand, blending those East Coast classic styles with a SoCal vibe. I've been wearing Johnny O for several years, and now you can as well with 20% off your first order by using the promo code ARICHTAKE at johnny-o.com. Live your best life with the Johnny O style and use promo code ARICHTAKE at johnny-o.com for 20% off your first order. Exploring the impact of sports. Welcome Welcome to Rich Take on Sports, the sports podcast with life. Having conversations and hearing personal stories from those who have been impacted built and inspired by the role of sports in their lives here's your host this is episode 143 thanks for being an investor by investing your time to listen when it comes to success there are many factors that impact and influence our definition of success but none are more important than believing in yourself which has been a cornerstone for Steffi Sorensen that continues today. Steffi would become a highly decorated basketball player in high school, being named 2006 Miss Florida Basketball, and would continue her playing career at Florida Gulf Coast before ultimately transferring to the University of Florida as a walk-on, eventually being voted team captain for the Gators her senior year, and currently she has the second highest career three-point percentage in school history. After a brief stint playing professionally overseas in France, she would return to the U.S. and receive an unexpected phone call that catapulted her sports broadcasting career now as a college basketball analyst for ESPN and CBS, where you can also find her on the SEC Network. Our conversation with Steffi Sorensen. Steffi, thank you so much. I greatly appreciate you coming here, not limping, but... Hey! Right, you got <laughs> third times a charm with so uh, with I've surgeries. I've got to hear the story because I thought it was two times, but you're yeah. saying it's three times. Well, I had my left done in 2017, then I had my right done last year, and then I re-injured it recently. Obviously, there's one person in this world that re-injured during quarantine. Me, I was awkwardly lifting a couch with my uh, sister and my grandpa, and just just was awkward. And you know, I'm back in the sling, but I'm hoping. Third time's a charm. It's a weird injury. So actually, it wasn't like yeah, everyone says I'm at Publix or whatever, and they're like, "Oh my god, did you tear your rotator cuff?" That's what it looks yeah, like. Yeah, rotator cuff. Later, I'm like, "No, it's actually my capsule." So like your shoulder capsule. So it's uh, most uh, athletes that had uh, overhead sports. Yeah, swimmers, basketball players, volleyball. Like their capsules are actually loose, and so it's kind of somewhat genetic. So both of mine were loose because if my left was loose, I was a right hand player. <laughs> This thing's going to be loose uh, from years of shooting. So um, anyway, they tightened it up again. It's pretty painful, but, you know, I'm I'm halfway there. So No good deed goes unpunished, huh? You're trying to help move the couch. Yeah, my parents were not happy. They're like, stop helping. Just say no. And I just can't. Like, I got to get in. I got to help. But that's me. Did you have... I don't want to, you know, obviously talk a whole lot about COVID. We uh, That's been yeah. talked to death. But were there any concerns in terms of having surgery during this time? Well, they actually make you get a test. And I, I did wait. I put it, I put it off a little bit. Um, 
my surgeon, she's great. She worked with the Yankees quite a bit. So, I've, you know, I've got a good level of trust. She's not going to put anyone in harm's way. But, um, you know, I had to go in there and get a 20-second swab. Have you had the test yet? No, I have not. Okay, that was some incentive to, you know, to not play because it was <laughs> brutal. But, um, no, I wasn't, I've waited enough time. I mean, this was three weeks ago. So I, I try to space it out. So, no. Yeah. And what's your recovery look like? Um, it's a year-long recovery. I mean, it takes a while because, you know, I don't want to bore people with the capsule thing. But, like, you know, you go in to get it tightened. And, you know, football, whatever, that, that capsule can get loose. But you don't want to stretch it back out. But you also have to – it's not going to go anywhere right now. So you got to, like, slowly stretch it back out. You don't want to overstretch. It's probably why I'm in the sling. Yeah, probably so. So I'm going to be more careful. Well, but you don't seem like the person that is going to slow down, though. Yeah. It's not really in my DNA. I, just, I don't think so. You know, I called my mom earlier and I'm like, you know, I'm going on this podcast. Can you tell me, just brush me up to speed on, you know, what I was like as a kid? And she's like, you know, everyone, she's like, you want to go there? She's like, you were just different. You know, that's what I, she, bottom line was just how, you know, aggressive. I mean, from the time I was two and a half, three, my parents were like, Steffi's different when so they she's knew around. They knew. Yeah. I was like, did you know? And she goes, we knew. Everyone knew. And I was like, interesting. Okay, you know, because you look back and I don't necessarily know. I don't remember. Yeah, and you don't remember that? No. I mean, I remember, you know, my brother is 17 months older than me. So I knew that he, whatever he did, I had to do. If that was shirtless on your big wheel at 10, I'm eight. I'm shirtless on my big <laughs> wheel. You know, like I'm with him. And um, so whatever he was doing, I was doing. And so it was, you know, I was just as aggressive because bottom line, if I wasn't, he would be yelling at me. So. So now do you think you were trying to keep up with him uh, from because you were just your DNA was that you were that competitive or was mm -hmm. it because you just wanted to be with your big brother? I think it was probably both. I mean, honestly, I mean, I loved love my big brother. I mean, he's taught me a lot. Um, but I also think that there's just this different level of determination, too, because as we got older, I could see he was, you know, he liked hanging with his friends and he liked, you know, some extra stuff. And I was more so like I'm locked and loaded on winning champion. You know, I want to win a championship in high school. I want to, you know, I want to be the best at this. So I think my difference with my big brother and I was um, that determination, my mom said, was just you could see it on my face at a very young age. And I think that is the interesting thing about how siblings can be so different mm. uh, in certain aspects, because uh, that's the way I've got three kids and yeah. they're all different and got other friends with multiple children as well. And it's interesting to see that one might be into sports and they're really good, but the other one might not be as good just athletically, but they've got the different type of drive. And it sounds yeah. like that might be what you had growing yeah. up where, I mean, I've remember I was a little bit that way where if it was raining. It didn't matter. I was still outside right. shooting basketball. Right. It didn't matter what was going on. You know, I just wanted to be trying to, in a situation of getting better. Yeah. Well, you know, I come from a family of entrepreneurs. Um, both of my grandparents, um, my dad's dad and my mom's dad are entrepreneurs. My father is an entrepreneur. And I think that there's a certain DNA that comes with that of just discipline and just going out and getting things done when you, you know, it's your own thing. And with sports, it's your own craft. And it's, you know, how can I get to be the best at this? I think there's just a drive that comes genetically, just DNA. Like it's just in our, it was in our blood, and now we're all pretty, uh, 
you know, pretty close in age, my brother and my sister and I. And so now we're kind of seeing how we are all alike, but we're all kind of different in our own way. So I'm sure you'll see that later with your kids. Oh, yes. Where, you know, we're all creative and passionate, but, you know, it's in this way or it's in this way. Mine was just happened to be sports. I just wanted to pursue it the furthest. I want to be a professional athlete. And, you know, I think that was the same drive for my sister or my brother. But, you know, now we're all three. We all have, we can embrace those differences. This just, my path is just different than theirs. How, what's the age difference between you and your sister then? Um, three years. She's and 29. She's I'm 32. My brother's okay. going to be 34. Okay. Yeah. How was it then being in the middle though? Oh, I'm middle child syndrome, <laughs> exactly. you know, neglect. No one gives me attention. You know, you just kind of have to play with yourself because they're, you know, they'd gang up on me and I was sensitive and, uh, but that was fine then. But I think it was till, not till later that we were all in Gainesville together. When I was at Florida, my brother was at Florida and my sister was at Santa Fe, the junior college there in Gainesville. And all three of us were in school together. And that was just like the pinnacle. I mean, my mom and dad could come down and visit all of us. But, you know, we, yeah, definitely a tight, tight knit unit. Um, but we're a fun group. <laughs> yeah, well, it, I, I can, I've seen some of the stuff on social media. Yeah. And so I, I can tell yeah. that you guys have a lot of fun. Yeah. And you mentioned entrepreneur. What, what does that mean, though? Small business owners or what? Yes. Inventors. So my mom's father was, his his dad was actually, he fled Germany. My mom was born in Germany. I actually have German citizenship. She came over when they were three. But uh, my, grandpa, my grandpa, his dad owned a grocery store. And my grandpa didn't want to own the grocery store. Like, you know, next in line to own the grocery store in Germany. So he, he came to America to be, um, he ran a, a tool business. You know, he's a mechanic. And so he had his own business. And then on my dad's side, he was a firefighter and then he had a, a TV shop. So he ran a TV business. And then my dad, a uncle in 1994, started a company called Firehouse Subs. So that's... Well, hello. Yeah, that was... Well, we didn't know at the time that it was going to be, <laughs> you know, a big business. Yes. I mean, I didn't, you know, I, I don't necessarily share that publicly a lot because I think that comes with people making assumptions about me or whatever, you know, you know, that how that is. And I'm like, look, I was in college playing basketball. Like I didn't ask for anything. That thing took off on its own. You know, I have my own plans, you know, to do things. Well, I imagine but, you had your blinders on. Oh yeah. I mean, I just, you know, it, in some regards it was nice because, you know, my dad might've sponsored teams because I played on teams that we didn't, we didn't have any money. So he could come in and maybe sponsor team. We get jerseys and we could go to a tournament. So that's where it was, you know, definitely advantageous. But for the most part, I mean, I just grew up as a kid, just wanted to be a basketball player. Well, playing sports. Yeah, playing sports. So what was that like then? And I'd love to hear what your mom might have said even more about your early childhood and when you really first started gravitating towards sports and then obviously falling in love, say, with basketball. Yeah. How all that happened? Uh, Three going on four, I was in camp. And I have a three, almost three-year-old nephew, and I just imagine him going to a camp. You know, they're just so he's so <laughs> scattered. He's a, he loves being a firefighter right now, and I'm just thinking at four years old going into a camp and being focused enough like to how? sit. Yeah, I was like, how did she <laughs> goes? I don't know. You just went in there, and you just you know whatever Eric was doing. You know, you followed with him, and you know um, there was a league like a bitty ball league. It's kind of like you know a pow league or AAU or you know just underneath it, and it, you had to be seven. And she said, I, I got you in at six and no one was, they weren't necessarily buying it. And then uh, we, I went through a drill. 
She said, you did it perfect and you beat every boy faster and better. You made no mistakes. And everyone goes, we'll take her on our team. (laughs) (laughs) So that was at six. And she said, we started to think that maybe, you know, you you were on to something here. Um, And so that's when kind of basketball started because that was my brother's sport. But I actually, I loved tennis. You know, I was named after Steffi Graf. So I had an injury in middle school that hurt my right wrist. And if I didn't get injured, I, I, all my life, I probably think I would have been a professional tennis player. And that's not to say I was that great, but you know, I was, that would have been your focus. That would have probably been been my focus. Yeah. I mean, I love, I was probably nine when I started playing tennis and I was doing, um, the tours, ATP tours and all that stuff. So, you know, and, and I played golf too. So I had a lot of interests as a kid, a lot of different sports, loved playing all of them. They, I felt they all were beneficial, you know. Yeah. So how, especially the landscape today is we see specialization. Oh yeah. Don't even get me started. Okay. On that. <laughs> well, I'm going to get you started. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> I'm a firm believer you play them all. Yeah. Get exposed to them all uh, because you can pick up on so many different things off of each sport. So from your perspective then, yeah. how beneficial was that to helping you become a college basketball yeah. player. Well, I think the biggest thing for me is that, you know, my for, for starters is my parents didn't make me play any sport. You know, I it was whatever I wanted to do, they let me. Um, and secondly, I always felt like they translated over. So when I was playing basketball, you know, and I was then I was training for tennis, I was doing so much footwork that that, that helped me with basketball. And when I was playing golf, mentally, if anyone has played golf, men- golf is the most difficult sport to play and not lose your you-know-what. Agreed. Um, without throwing your club. We've all done it. But, you know, they, those all carried over. And I think that what gets lost with the specialization with kids in sports today is that <clears throat> you want them to be so great so young, but they miss out on what the other benefits are of other sports because they carry over. They do. They carry over. And I noticed just a huge difference coming from golf to going to basketball practice. I'm like, it's a ball and a hoop. Just go out there. You know, it's it's not that serious. And um, so I just feel like, you know, I played almost every sport, volleyball, without, but not soccer. I said, Mom, why did you not put me, put me in soccer? Exactly. You know, and she goes, well, you know, your brother didn't like it. So I just figured, you know, <laughs> you, you wouldn't, wouldn't like, like it. it. I'm like, I kind of wonder now, you know, if I would have been pretty good at soccer. But, you know, the, the bottom line is I think every every kid should play and experiment and whatever they like. And if they like multiple, then, you know, have at it. But agree. it's just, it's, it's a different world now. It is. It, it, it really is. Because obviously there's so much focus, uh, again, on the specialization because they think the specialization is going to lead to a scholarship. Right. Or, you know, or something bigger than that and get, making it to the pros. And I think you're seeing most of the pros, they didn't specialize. Yeah. They had the ability to play different sports. And also I think there's an aspect of each sport, even the teams are different how the teams are composed and how they interact with each other. And so yeah. you get the diversity of learning how to be teammates in a different way. Yeah. Uh, like, I mean, you have a team in tennis, you, even you have a team in golf, but you're, yeah. you know, doing solo activities at times. Well, they're individual sports yes. kind of wrapped up in a team concept. That's right. But you so take, it's a little bit different. You take that personal responsibility. Oh, I need to win this slot for my team to win this title here. And so you take that over to a team sport like basketball. And it's just like, I, do your job. You know, kind of Bill Belichick, his yeah, motto is do your job. And it's it starts, you got to handle your business individually for that team, I think, collectively to succeed. So I think that was just what you can take from so many other sports and 
But I will say, like, when it comes to specialization, because when I was talking to my mom, I was seeing a a shooting coach when I was in just after uh, middle school, and I wanted to. So, you know, if you want to, go for it. I mean, there's that drive. Yeah, if you got that drive, you got to fill that void. Yes. Um, But yeah, I think there's just so much pressure on kids right now to just like dive all in, and then you hit that heading into college, and you're just like, man, I'm worn out. You hit that wall. I'm worn out. You haven't even begun. You know, (laughs) you're already worn out. So that's got a long way to keep grinding. Yeah, you better gear up. So growing up, then when you were playing all these sports, and I'm interesting to know that you're talking about Bill Belichick, do your job. Mm -hmm. Were you the type of person that vocal leader or were you a quiet leader or how was your role when you were fitting into all of these different teams that you were playing on? I'm definitely not vocal. I'm, you know, I err on more on the the shy. I wouldn't say timid. I would say more reserved, more, you know, quiet and um, not necessarily someone who's going to be a rah-rah. I'm not a rah-rah kind of person necessarily. I'm not going to hit you with a really deep quote. Like I'm just going to talk and I hope that we have some sort of connection and we have a breakthrough that way. So I think building relationships with people and, you know, being able to to lead that way or you, you're going to know that I put in the work and you're going to respect me. So I think that that's kind of that was always my approach. Um, vocal was, you know, coaches, hey, can you talk a little more? I'm like, oh, all right, yeah, let's go. You know, like it just was never really my thing. And I just, you know, that that's I think that's part of my personality. I wish I was, you know, I wish I could be like that. But I've learned over the years, kind of honing in your skill set and, and what makes you your personality. And, and now what I do with with TV is just, you know, having confidence in yourself to lead, to take, you know, to take the room in and say, this is what I think we should do. And I think that, you know, in hindsight, you know, as a college athlete, I wish maybe I was I had that same type of command. But, you know, maybe I, I just wasn't grown or mature enough yet. So. Yeah. Was there you think any aspect of you being the middle child? That had anything come to come back to that middle? Were you yes. middle child? No, I was not. I okay. was the oldest, but I've got a How's middle, your middle child. I've got a middle child, and are they a little bit more shy? Or? Yes, yeah, yes, yeah. Uh, but it's in certain situations, though. In other situations, once he's like comfortable, mm-hmm. he's the outgoing, lovey dovey guy and okay. makes everybody laugh. How old, how much older is the older sibling than 19 months? Okay, so very similar. So yes. my mom said that my brother spoke a lot for me, so I didn't have to say anything. Steffi has to go to the bathroom. Steffi has to do this <laughs> or whatever he'd say. Steffi's done playing this game. So, you know, I just kind of took a back seat. So it could be, you know, I don't necessarily know the dynamics between uh, your kids. But, you know, I think some of that is, you know, big brother leads the way or big yeah, sister could, leads the way. And you just kind of take a seat back. But, yeah, and yeah. I'm not trying to be, you know, the psychologist here. No, my sister, you on the couch, you're a middle so. child. My sister tells me all the time, you're a middle child. I'm like, oh, I don't need attention. Maybe I do. Yes. <laughs> you know, it is what it is, though. How was that transition then, though, for you to actually, you're on TV and mm. now you've got to be, you know, that vocal person. Yeah. You've, you can't be timid. And especially sometimes you've got to share some opinions that yeah. might not, you know, be well received necessarily. So yeah. was that a tough transition for you? You know, I, Rich, I think my sports broadcasting background is just really interesting. There's not very many people I feel like that have my story. I mean, I played at three different schools in four years, got denied entry into broadcasting school at UF, did not think I'd remotely be in TV. My first job was with ESPN. And I'm working with Kevin Cork, Harvard grad, longtime ESPNer. Now he works for Fox News. And I'm looking at the red light and he's like, that means go. I'm like, (laughs) oh, you know, I had no idea. I had no idea. 
And so hey, what camera know, do I look that at? was at like, <laughs> you know, 20, I was 24 and, you know, I just had no idea. Um, it's probably taken me until I turned 30, 31, because I was just so young getting into the business that I, I probably took it too serious. And then it was like, I didn't have fun. And then, but you want coaches to respect you. And so I think you have to get to the point where you're like, this is my pin and I stand on this ground. And it took me probably six years of being in the business to where I felt comfortable. And when you sit down with a bunch of people, there's this, you know, and you're a young female and it's an all, you know, the dynamics of the group. And it's maybe it's a bunch of guys and they're going to tell you everything that the the show is going to be. And you're kind of like, okay. And then it hits you kind of hit me at like 30, 31, 32 now. And I'm like, I need to insert myself more here. This is what I think we should do. And I think that that's when I started to feel really comfortable with with what I do is, first of all, you got to believe what you say, mean you what you say, which I do. Uh, I just, you know, I just didn't necessarily have the same command that I think that I have developed. And I understand the business a little bit more. It took me some time. It's a complicated business. It's yes, not, it it's not, you know, easy to navigate by yourself. I, I don't, I never had a mentor. So I've been kind of blindly going through everything. So I feel like now um, we've got so many opportunities for younger people that, you know, always if someone comes up to me, I'm like, hey, just text me, email me, whatever. I'll shoot it to you straight. I wish someone would have sh- shot it to me straight. That's all. Like, that's what I feel like I can do. Yeah. So, so you now you can focus on, I mean, you can give back and. I'm not uh, saying I'm great, but I'm like, let me help you so you don't course. do the errors that I did. Well, that's you know? <laughs> what I keep telling my kids and, and other people too, that when I, Share information, especially as I'm, you know, leading a sales team, yeah. and uh, and even when I was a coach, it's I'm sharing this information not from a position of authority that I'm talking down to you. I'm just sharing it because I've lived life longer than you. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. I've experienced more things. That's yeah. it. You know, I, I'm telling you not to touch the hot stove <laughs> because <laughs> I know what happens. Right. You know, and that that's I, I think where same with me. I you know I wish I would have. Uh, actually been able to seek out mentors and been intentional about that in my mm-hmm. younger days. And I didn't do that yeah. uh, just because a- as you're young, you think you can conquer the world. Yeah. And that's a good trait to have at times, mm-hmm. right? But there's also an aspect of you don't have to try to reinvent the wheel either. And you can make things a little bit easier for you at times. Now, I do want to walk back then. So going through this whole that journey what you talked about yeah okay so because it is interesting yeah because you could have given up on multiple stops in this journey just even from florida gulf coast then to santa fe community college then to florida so i want to hear the whole recruiting process for you i mean you were a stellar athlete obviously you know in, in basketball well recognized but the recruiting side of things, how was that for you and how you ended up at Florida yeah. Gulf Coast uh, initially? Um, you know, I was pretty highly recognized, I guess you could say, coming out of high school. I mean, it was Florida basketball. And, you know, just I didn't have a lot of huge power five school offers. I mean, I my dream was Florida. You know, my dad loved Florida. And I was like, man, um, but, you know, they just never, never came to the table um, had a lot of Ivy League schools. I mean, some smaller mid, you know, mid majors. So I kind of wondered, you know, where I was going to land. And uh, you know, I took. I'm like poster child for like what not to do in college. Okay, like first of and all, what three, do you mean? First of all, three schools, four years. Don't do that. <laughs> Secondly, took one visit. 
take five. I took one visit. And I don't regret anything with FGCU, but, you know, I only took one. And you get five for a reason. So, you know, I, I think I was just kind of overwhelmed. And, you know, I'm not necessarily someone who... You know, the coach is calling, and, and at that point, it was like they'd leave answering uh, answering uh, voicemails on my parents' machine. And I was like, hey, Steph, you know, this is such and such coach. And I think I just wanted to go into my senior year and just, like, know where I wanted to go. Yeah. Didn't want to have didn't want to, have to just focus didn't on want, anything, I just wanted to go and play. And, you know, I think a lot of athletes went through that, too. And so, and now it's probably even, you know, with the amount of, like, social media and text, you know, it's probably magnified. So I'm kind of glad I'm out of it. But... Um, <clears throat> took one visit down to FGCU. They were transitioning last year in D2 to go to Division One. Palm tree. I mean, it's beautiful. I don't know if you've ever been down to that I campus. Been but there. Whoo, yes. Beautiful. It is you see, beautiful. You see that and you're like, where do I sign? So I signed there. Had a hell of a run. Had lost one game. Lost a national championship game. Only lost one time. We Our team was fantastic. In fact, I think half our team is now coaching or our head coaches. Uh, so we had a pretty stellar, you know, stellar team. Carl Smesco, was, I learned a lot there. Um, it's just I didn't necessarily like being that far away from my family. I mean, we the first thing we did when we talked about this on this podcast, my family. Yes. I'm very close to my very family. Close. Um, they couldn't come to as many games. So then I was like, all right, I got to gotta roll out. People down there were not happy. So that was difficult. I think you know, I had to release my first PR statement. I was 19. You know, because nowadays when you transfer, like, you know, fans get upset or, yes. you know, they want an explanation. It was just, you know, I just didn't think it was the right fit long term for me. And I wanted to I wanted to move to another place. So then, you was know. Was there a defining moment, though, that it hit you that you made that decision? Or is it just building over time throughout the season that you, you felt? Because you guys were having success. So yeah, it's, it's it was, hard to imagine that you wanted yeah, to leave. Coach And Coach Mesco was pretty tough to play for. I mean, he's. He had very high expectations for me. I probably had my best statistical year playing for him. Um, I just, like I said, being that far away and, you know, and I was younger too and, and juggling all those things. But, you know, my mom's like, you want, want me to come down there and we'll we'll talk to him? I said, no, stay there. I want to do this. I want to, you know, that was a good defining moment for me of becoming an adult pretty much is sitting in an office and telling coach, hey, I want to leave after we go 34 and one. And you're the, had to be a one of the better players. Yeah. I mean, it was, whew. That was, that was tough, and I don't think he expected it. Um, but we had a lot of players transfer that year that never went to his office, that just left. Wow. So, you know, the way that I, I thought appropriate was, I respect you, I respect what we did. I just, I'm going to move on, but I'm going to tell you to your face. You know, and, you know, I've covered FGCU since. So it just, you know, really enjoyed that time there and what I learned. But it was, you know, I just, I wanted to get back up. To, uh, well, where did you learn that aspect of being that respectful? And my parents, my parents for sure. I mean, you know, and just having that conversation with my mother earlier and she was talking about, you know, never quitting. Like we were never allowed to quit. You'd have to finish that season out. You might have to suck it up. You know, it might be a, a, a volleyball. I hated playing volleyball. <laughs> Mom, not a pl- I'm not a fan of these short shorts. Like it's not my vibe. Mom, please. Nope. Have to finish the season. And so, you know, I think that was just that's and why I have such an interesting take on athletes transferring today is because, one, I transferred a lot, you know, but I never quit during any season. I finished it, moved on. And so now I, I think the only problem with the transferring thing is is students leaving without completing a season or just, you know, just be respectful. And, you know, there's everyone's got their right to pursue their own happiness. That's what I believe. 
But now it's just whew, that transfer portal. That's a whole other story. Oh, that is another. That's, yeah, Th- that's a whole other podcast we could so, talk about. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, then, you know, I left F- FGCU after really, you know, really fantastic year and then went to junior college. And that was like very different experience. Yeah. So did you w- <laughs> did you have any other thoughts or other plans other than JUCO? I mean, were you I mean, I was recruited options. I was re-recruited by a lot of the coaches that recruited me out of high school. And so it's still mid-majors and I didn't want to sit out. I'm too competitive. I don't want to sit out a year. I'm like, no, I don't want to sit out. So I'm just going to, my brother was at Santa Fe. He was playing. My brother was a college basketball player. So I was like, okay, I'm familiar with, you know, if, if he's up there, I'm, I'm good. Yeah. So big brother. Yeah. Wherever no he goes. Visit, yes. No visit. Hey, <laughs> no visit. Sign me up. You know? So I, I ended up at Santa Fe and it's just such a different experience because, you know, when you're in junior college, it's not a bunch of media around, you know, you're, you know, I had really interesting teammates from all different kinds of backgrounds. I mean, I'm sure you're a little bit familiar with junior college, right? Oh, yes. And um, I recruited there yeah. quite a bit. I almost took a job at yeah. a junior college in Oklahoma. Yeah, I saw that. I was so like, I hey, know. junior college love. But you play against some unbelievable athletes like Chipola College. I mean, we, yes. we went up against some really good um, competition and enjoyed it, you know, had fun. And uh, basketball wasn't that serious. So I think that was kind of important at that time. I'd come off such a... I mean, I went into FGCU. I was like, I just turned 18, spent summer down there, and I was training with the two captains. And it was just us three. And we, I mean, we were crushing it. That was the hardest conditioning of my entire life playing at FGCU. I mean, we'd run circles around teams because we were so in shape. Okay. So it was just, you know, your head coach there is also your strength coach. He's your nutritionist. You know, it's different. <laughs> it is <laughs> so different. Yeah. You start to hate him when it's like he's just trying to get us in shape. But it was, you know, it was, I mean, we had our best player, 5'11". She was our post player, and she ran 5'30 mile. I mean, she was lapping our guards, and she was setting the bar. So that was my experience as a, as a freshman, then going to junior college, and it was a little bit of, like, relief. Had some fun, you know, just, just went out and played. And then it came time to make a decision where I wanted to go next. And, you know, again, some of the mid-majors were calling, and then it, I eventually narrowed it down to USF and UF. UF, they were doing a, what's, what is it? Not necessarily like I have to walk on at the tryouts, but it was like guaranteed, like you're on the team, like like you're a walk on. Walk on. Uh, Yeah. Basically I would be a walk on at Florida and USF offered me a preferred walk on. That's what I was, preferred walk on. That's right. uh, Versus a full scholarship at USF for coach Fernandez down there. And my mom was like, take the scholarship. My dad goes, go to Florida. I had some (laughs) academic scholarships. And I was, you know, I really wanted to pay my way through college. I didn't want to put any burden on them. And and I said, I think I'm going to walk on at Florida because I have to tell you now, Rich, I would go to the games when I was at Santa Fe and I'd sit in the O-Dome and I'm looking, I'm like, I can do this. I can be out there. And maybe that was crazy. Like I think back to that, I'm thinking, I'm like, maybe this is like, maybe it's cocky to think, but I was watching. I was like, I could be out there. I swear to God, I could be out there. And then. You know, I think you have to have that mindset. Yeah, I think, I think you can think it, but applying it is oh, it is different. You know, yes. Um, so yeah, you I have to be up, able to transfer. Yeah, that I eventually. So I, I I walked on at Florida, and I remember the first few weeks, there was not many conversations geared my way as as you know playing or. Um, I remember the first day of practice, my coach, my coach did not call my name out. Um, you know, you're reading down the list of where players should go. My name wasn't called, and I thought, you know, some people could take that and think, oh, you know, oh, she didn't call my name. You know, I made a terrible, and I'm like, okay, 
not like more Michael Jordan in his uh, documentary where yeah. he goes, and for that, I, you know, not <laughs> exactly. like that. But it for was the rest of my life. Right. <laughs> it was just like, okay, let me let me let me make sure you say my name this next time. And you know, a week later, that you want to go in there and talk about player meetings and what the expectations are. And they said, hey, eight to ten minutes off the bench, if you can come in, hit some shots, you know, just give us some energy. And I'm like, okay. Heard that. And then that wasn't good enough. No, I was like, no, I'm going to, you know, I, I knew in my head um, that I would start and I knew that I would play. I think it's just a self-belief, I guess, that that I could do it. And that never wavered. And I just kind of stuck with it. And so then our first game, my junior year at UF was against FGCU at FGCU. And boy, that's, they sold that place out. <laughs> they knew I was coming back. Yes. Steffi's coming back. And, you know, and I remember that team and they're like, man, FGCU is not that good. I'm like, y'all, they're good. Do not play. Like, you know, they're in the tournament every year now. And the way their style of play is very difficult to defend. And uh, we lost to them on the road. I didn't start that game, but I started every game after until I graduated. And that was an interesting experience going back. Had to be. They stormed the court. I mean, it was kind of like full circle, but I thought, you know, let's just. It's amazing how life meanders like that and it's comes crazy, back right? to that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And uh, I mean, can you, I mean, how does that game get scheduled? What right? are, And what are the odds that it's like, you know, UF scheduled that game, probably not even thinking anything about FGCU. Of course not let alone that they were going to lose, let alone that was my first team. Exactly. And some of my teammates were on it. And, you know, I think I even fouled out of that game. I don't know what I was doing. I never <laughs> foul out. But um, um, that was that was such an interesting experience. But, you know, my journey has been, like I said, Rich, you know, my journey was oh, I'm has. bouncing around. And, 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 and so you make that decision to walk on at Florida. Mm -hmm. So if you're sitting in the stand saying, I can, I can mm -hmm. be on that court. So was that really what almost made the decision for you was that challenge where you knew you had South Florida mm -hmm. and the scholarship, but were you wanting more of a challenge and that's why you picked Florida or was it because my dad wants me to go to Florida and I've always wanted <laughs> yeah. to play at Florida? I think it was more so the dream of wanting to be a Gator. I mean, I grew up in an area where, you know, I'm in, from Jacksonville, Florida. So we're a lot of Seminoles, Gators, Seminoles, Gators. And it was all, you know, my family was always in orange and blue. And, you know, went to school with or in an area around Tim, Tim Tebow and Nick Calathis. And, you know, they were all at Florida. And so I just felt like, you know, like, let me let me follow my dreams here. And I'll, you know, listening to your dad talk. Um, <laughs> yes, your dad's exactly. Speech, That's right. <laughs> uh, follow your dreams here. And, and, and that landed me in Gainesville, Florida. And, you know. That's that's how the story goes. My wife is from Gainesville, and okay. so her parents uh, went to Florida. My wife went to Clemson. Traitor. Yes, I know, but she <laughs> wanted to get out of Gainesville. Yeah, was, I know, yeah, it, I don't. I don't yeah. yeah, she just wanted to do something different. But I've been to many games in the O Dome, so I, I know what it's like there. Yeah. And especially as we talked about earlier, from my coaching background, and I didn't have the same type of great experience from a walk-on perspective yeah. <laughs> about my time at Clemson. <laughs> that was a humbling experience. Yeah. But I, I could understand what you might have been feeling sitting in the stands because it's always been hard for me when I got out of coaching. First few years, I couldn't go to basketball games mm. because I was sitting in the stands and I'm like, wait a second. Yeah. I'm supposed to be down on the court, mm -hmm. right? This, this is not, it doesn't feel natural. Yeah. It doesn't feel like I should be here. But I, so I can understand how you're like, 
that's where I should be is yeah. on, out on that court well, right and there. And not many uh, walk-ons get the opportunity, you know, to go out and then compete or start or, you know, eventually I did earn a scholarship. Um, and it's kind of like the walk-ons around campus kind of knew of each other and it was kind of like got that little bond. Yes. Um, so, I, But I did feel like, you know, I was a walk-on, but I wasn't walk. I wasn't going into that like I was like a walk-on because I mean I remember going into UF and there was a certain training drill that we had to do and it was like carrying a sandbag and then and pushing one of the sleds that the football guys have out there and I you know I was slow and I just I couldn't get it and so I remember going home before I had to go back to campus because you had to pass that test before you can get your practice gear and all that stuff so I remember going home and it was like. I found soft water salt bags at my parents' house that I would carry, push their golf cart <laughs> across the yard, and then to, to like simulate. I mean, and that's the type of drive. I mean, you know, looking back, I'm like, you know, that's why you did these things is because, I mean, that's the type of effort you have to put in if, you know, if you want to get to where you want to be. And so I think that looking back and when I was watching those games, I was like, you know, if I just had that opportunity, if I just got a chance to compete with some of these players, I know for sure I could be out there. And so, you know, but you got to put in the work. So you I'm do. like, you know, that's what I'm saying. You oh, can say it, but you got to do it. That's right. Well, and I just think that drive is interesting. And I, I firmly believe there's something about that it truly is in your DNA from your family having this entrepreneurial spirit mm -hmm. and knowing the drive that it takes to create a business or start a business or, yeah. you know, have, you know, multiple streams of revenue or, you know, whatever it is and not just be a clock in, clock out type of person. Nothing wrong with that. I mean, right. some people have very successful lives and careers like that. I'm built more of the same way of the kind yeah. of the entrepreneurial spirit as well. And that inner drive and it just, it's interesting how that comes out of somebody yeah. at certain times. I, th I think it was all in you know, my sibling and I's DNA, but I think, you know, especially knowing my mother and then having that conversation with her and we're just kind of going back through memory lane. And, and she's talking about that. She was so ahead of the curve and she's calling these people and she said, my daughter wants to play in this league and there's no girls in the league. And she goes, I don't care, you know, like, and she's, you know, wants me to be out there and she wants me to compete. And so she was like way ahead of her time in terms of, she never pushed. I wanted to do it. But, you know, you have to have someone also that's in your corner. She was just hoping to help support and create some pathways for she you. She was like, you know, we had we all had that drive, but it was a way to help navigate and kind of steer us in the right direction. So definitely shout out to mom for that. Because after talking to her, I'm like, wow, you really said those things? You know, like in middle school, I had to transfer schools and maybe there wasn't going to be a team. And she's like, well, there needs to be a team. I'm like, mom, <laughs> you said that? She goes, oh, yeah. She's like, I need you. you guys need to get scholarships. And so it was just you know, kind of funny that, you know, I never felt pressure from them, but definitely felt their support, which I think is huge. How influential has your mom been in your life? Oh, man. I mean, well, mom is the backbone of our family and, you know, she's a lot to aspire to be and very strong and um, just very selfless. And I think that's something that, you know, it's um, I see my sister now. She has two kids, and I'd love to have kids myself one day. Um, you start to want to mimic some of the things that she did as a mom. And it's something that I really liked about how she raised us was that we were always free to make our own decisions. We were always free to be ourselves, and that, that's important to me, and not, not pigeonhole you into something. Like, I wanted a surfer cut when I was seven or six or whatever. She let me have a surfer cut. I'm like... 
you know, some moms would freak out about that. My mom probably didn't. Maybe she was like, well, I don't know about this, but you know, she let me cut, you know, she let me cut my hair. And so I think that that's important now with the industry I'm in because being yourself and being authentic is very important and feeling okay in your own skin and being comfortable is is also just as important. I think that going back to like how my mom raised my brother and my sister and I is just, you know, she let us be us. And even if she maybe didn't, you know, it was something my sister wanted to do and she didn't like it. You know, she is, that's my sister's decision and that would be that. And so I think that that's very important now and just believing who you are, being authentic, being true to yourself. And so that's kind of how I would want to raise my kids, how I see my sister raise her kids. So I think it's kind of like, you know, a legacy thing where you see what she did and what she was able to do, you know, and that's, you know, my both, both my parents, but you know, my dad was off working his, you know, what off and, you know, but so is parenting, man. I'm, getting a clear shot watching my sister with her two kids. I'm like, I don't know how you do it. And, you know, he's almost three and a six month old. Well, and a tough it's, it's, time. yeah, I'll go over there and relief. I'm like, tap out. So, <laughs> and you're in the nice position now, though. Just yeah. Auntie comes in, yeah, is the fun loving person, then you can leave. <laughs> yeah, me and the, me and the three year old, he, we scrap a little bit. Oh, he's like do. my little, he's like my son, but also like my little brother. So, you know, I give him a little nudge every now and then, but <laughs> you're stuffing him up a little bit. Yeah. The, the, her newest one, her name's Fiona. She's a girl. She's six months. She reminds me a lot of me. She's, you know, cause he'll push her down and, you know, she's got to get back up and it's probably like your middle, middle child. That's right. Watch out. <laughs> um, watch out for middle ch- children. So yeah, my mom has meant a lot to me. And how has your perspective just in, I guess, in life changed? when you watched your mom go through her medical battles yeah. and being in ICU for such a long time and not knowing, and now, I mean, she's back healthy. Yeah. Uh, how, I mean, how has that changed just your outlook and your drive? Yeah. Well, I think that, you know, I was actually going the day that my mom went into the ICU for those that are listening now, she has, she had Guillain-Barre. Um, Danny Warfel had Guillain-Barre. Mm-hmm. He actually, sent a video to my mom as she was in the ICU, which was awesome. I got reached out to him, but um, really rare illness, but it attacked her pretty bad. And so I was in the operating room getting my left shoulder done and I, and I got driven down to Jacksonville. I was in Atlanta getting the surgery. That same day, woke up out of surgery, boom, rode right, right down to Jacksonville and saw her in the ICU. And that was pretty rough. Um, but, I, you know, that was my first real go around with like sickness and, you know, the adversity like that. And I was 29. So I've been pretty fortunate, you know, had yes. good, solid family. Everyone's healthy. So it was the first time it was my mom. And if you ask anybody in the Sorensen clan, you know, who's the best? It'd be like my mom, you know, and she's, and she's stuck laying there paralyzed. And so definitely challenged me in a lot of different ways. We had a lot going on at that time too, just within, just within our family and so I kind of got thrown into this role of like making sure that everyone was okay, like helping my dad out. My sister, she had just had her baby and then just kind of also being there for my mom, talking to the doctors, you know, kind of just like it, in a weird way, like this matriarch and patriarch, like all at once. And I didn't know if I was ever like made for that. And then I, I realized like that was like kind of a silver lining through all this. And I was actually like showering my mom one day when she was home and she was still paralyzed. And I was giving her a shower. And I was like, you know, this has all been like hell. I was like, well, there's one thing that I've learned. It's like, I didn't think that I was made for this. I was like, but I think that I'm built for this life. Like 
to handle all of it. I mean, it was a lot at one time. It's like stuff I'm not going to like necessarily get into, but a lot at one time. And to shoulder that and to carry it and to be like this beacon of strength is what I always looked at as my mom. And then I had to kind of be that new person. So I think that that was made me mature, made me see life through a different lens, completely like changed my outlook on a lot of things. And I think that's kind of like how we were talking about going into work and that command. And it's like I had to go through a lot of this, you know, rigorous hardship to be able to sit down in a room with people and be like and and take control of the room. And I don't know if that's because I just had to go through something like super serious and maybe I hadn't yet. You know, you think having a fallout with a coach is is hard and it's really not until you see your mom on a lifeline. You're like, <laughs> this has got real really yes. quick. So, you know, that's kind of like condensed version without like completely, you know, I don't want to have a breakdown, but, you know, because my brother now, my brother had a serious fall about eight months ago. So as my mom healed, my brother fell and almost died. So in the middle of broadcasting, had a game at UCF uh, the next day. My sister called me and she said my brother fell in the kitchen. My brother's 6'4", 6'5". So you're kind of when you fall back, you're a flight risk or a fall risk. Yes. So he fell and um, immediately, you know, started having a seizure or whatever. And he was supposed to get life flighted, but it was bad weather or whatever. And so he, you know, was in the ICU and it was very bad. I mean, he almost died several times. And so I'm in Orlando my sister calls me and tells me, and I'm like, well, how bad is it? And she's like, I don't know. You know, I'm still trying to figure it out for mom and dad. And I'm like, you know, I, I don't necessarily know what's going on because I'm like get, getting ready for UCF plays. You know, I'm, it's a CBS game. And I'm just like, and then all of a sudden she calls me. She's like, you need to come now. So I ended up, you know, driving back um, to Jackson. Unfortunately, I was in Florida. And yeah, I mean, you walk into a hospital and we've got a pretty big family. There's 40 people. And, you know, just as there was, I'll never forget the sound of me letting out a scream when I saw my parents. You know, it's just like we're back in the ICU. So my mom spent 54 and then my brother, I think, was 34. And he has this, you know, significant brain injury that he's in recovery from. And so my mom just healed. And then my brother. For the first two, three weeks he was in the ICU, it was, you know, it's a brain injury, so you don't necessarily know. That's right. You know, there's a lot of doctors that came in there and said he'll never talk, he'll never walk, and never he'll be in a vegetative state. And, you know, you can't break that. You can't, you know, and I'm looking at my parents and, again, thrust back into that role of I got to take, you know, everybody comes, the family comes to me and, you know, what's You're the, the stabilizer. latest? I've got, yeah. And so you kind of come into this role and it's it's been such a weird three years and, and it in addition to these weird ass surgeries <laughs> that I've had, I'm in a sling half the time. Um, I don't mean to laugh. Yeah, no, but it's just like every time I've had a surgery, like my mom, ICU, this one, then my brother was in ICU. And, you know, thankfully he's okay. He's got a long road ahead of him. But, you know, he's, you know, he's, we just spent 30 minutes talking about how important he is. And yes. so, you know, nothing could break, you know, I just was with him over the weekend, you know, wear my LeBron jersey and walk in and he's, you know, he smiles at me because he sees the jersey. And so, you know, my family's very optimistic. We're, we're believers. And so we're, we know he'll be on, you know, in, in good, good standing eventually. But it's a brain, hin- brain injury and it, and it takes a while. So Yeah, and you don't know. And, that, and that's right. the tough thing. And, and I know once you start hearing a 
physician or a surgeon say vegetative state for the rest of his life, right? it's hard to get that out of your mind. And yeah. then lean on your faith to say, okay, no, we, we, we believe that, you know, yeah. we have faith that things can get better, but it's, it, that's hard. Yeah, man, it's been a rough, and it's something that I, I haven't necessarily personally talked about because it happened right in the middle of my season. Um, that was smack dab in the middle of conference play. Fortunately, ESPN was really um, gracious with me. You know, gave me a week, and then CBS was also. I called that game. I went back to Orlando, called the game, came back right after he got out of surgery. I don't know how the hell I called that game. I think in a way I knew he would want me to do it, and but CBS was also really gracious to me. But um, yeah, it was it was a really difficult thing to. Rich, I would fly to. The hospital, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, I would be in the ICU Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, fly to studio Thursday to do studio until midnight, fly to Atlanta to get clothes. And then Saturday, I would do game. Saturday, Sunday, you know, Sunday, I would have an SEC game. And then I would start it all over. And that was for like two and a half months. And I never really said anything. I mean, my, my bosses knew. But, you know, that was, again, another challenging thing that it's like a really quiet struggle that, you know, no one really knew about. Some people did, you know, but a lot of uncertainty and you're just calling a game and you're like, you know, it's my, you know, what's my brother doing? Is he okay? How hard was that for you to focus on the game and doing your yeah. job? Yeah. I think that, um, it comes back to that, that tunnel vision and it doesn't take away from the fact that I knew what was going on with my brother, but it also was like, you know, this is also my job. This is my career. And, you know, I'm calling this game. I got to do my job. Do your job. Do your get job. Get in, get out. Compartmentalize it. And, you know, I, I just think that, you know, knowing my brother, my he, he loved that. He loved Florida. He loved the Gators. I mean, we were he was down there during the two football championships, the two basketball championships. Loved Florida. I mean, he lifelong basketball player and um, loved watching me on TV, loved the fact that I played for the Gators. Like, and I just kind of knew also like my, what would my big brother want me to do? Skip, you know, skip work or like make it work, made it work. So it was definitely very hard. And, you know, you just, it's life, man, it's life. And I think that it gives you like a different outlook as you gear up for new chapters and you're just like, but how many more of these storms, man? I know. Weathering these storms. It just so, keeps coming. Yeah. And that's... And then coronavirus hit. And exactly. so it was just, just a really scary time. I mean, I was traveling for tournaments. And then, you know, he was in the hospital. And, you know, Rich, he was in the same hospital, rehab hospital that my mother was in. It was almost like deja vu where you go in there. She was on a different floor. But I'm like, you know, my dad and I are looking at each other like... <laughs> I cannot believe we're doing this again. Yeah. How many times do you guys question, how are we here again? I mean, there was a lot of, I think with this, with my brother and a brain injury, it's, and he can't, he's not necessarily verbal right now. So we don't necessarily know what he's thinking or whatever. But with my mother, she just had this spirit about her. Like you knew she was going to be okay. Like you just couldn't break her, you know, and we, you just couldn't break her. And with my brother, when, when this incident happened, it was just like, you know, we don't, we don't know. And I think there's a lot of uncertainty and we didn't necessarily know with my mother's illness because with Guillain-Bray, you don't know if someone who's paralyzed how long, and she was paralyzed for about a year, year and a half. And then, you know, and then my, this happened with yeah. my brother. And so she, 
you almost forget. You're like, oh, God, I forgot. You know, you were in the hospital and it's like some of the same nurses had my mom. And it was just like, God, what are we doing, man? It was just uh, it's just been a really crazy time. And even for my sister, she had a, her second child. And in know, the midst the, of all in, of in the midst of all this, she had her baby like right around. And me and my brother was in the in the hospital. So, yeah, I think that, you know, you take some of those life experiences and you kind of just grow up. Or, or see things through maybe a little bit of a different lens. And that kind of changes everything. How do you think sports helped you be in a position to be that stabilizer, to be that person that people were leaning on you yeah. to, to, to provide that support, that comfort, to be that foundation? Yeah. I'm going to tell you a story. It doesn't necessarily relate to your question, but I'll circle it back. So I was in junior college and my uncle at the time, he would fly everywhere and check out different stores. And uh, he was on a flight to Knoxville. Pat Summit was on the flight. Pat Summit loves firehouse subs, I guess. So he goes up and talks <laughs> to her. And he's not a shy guy. My uncle is very outgoing. And so he goes up to Pat and he's like, you know, Pat, you need to check out my niece. She plays in the junior college. You know, you you know, she's really good. Pat goes, you know, of course, Pat. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to check her out. And he said, would you mind writing her something, you know, words of encouragement or something like that. And so he writes me uh, or she writes me this this letter on Tennessee letterhead. And it says, you know, follow your dreams, work hard, dream big, something like that. And uh, he he gives it to me and I'm in junior college. And then I literally fast forward seven months and Tennessee had just won, Pat, I think one or nine, a thousandth game. They came to Gainesville. Holly Rose there, Carolyn Peck, who I work, all, all these people I work with now, they come to the game and I look across the court and there is Pat Summit and she has no idea I'm the kid that (laughs) she wrote the letter on after she met my uncle on the plane and I'm looking at her and I'm like you know I idolized Pat Summit I mean she she was all over my wall as a kid I mean there's a lot of how many others you know everyone I'm sure can share that sentiment so on that moment you kind of go I'm I think I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be in this moment you know nothing really made sense and then I'm here and I'm just like you can't make, I can't make this up. Like, and we won and not many people can say, you know, they beat Tennessee, no, and that, they you know, and that, that to me is like pen, highlight of my career was that moment. Cause it was like full circle for me, how I got, I went all these turns and I always want to play for Florida. Love Pat Summit. Here she comes, you know, and, and you beat her and yeah. And I had a part in that. And so I, I realized in that like, this is where I'm supposed to be. And so Fast forward to kind of what you're talking about with with sports, and then how do you how do I think that helped me? And it's like you kind of are in this moment. It prepares you to, to deal with difficulties, adversity, like any kind of problems. Like you become the leader of a team, the face of an organization, or you need to be able to. And I think this is kind of why I got into sports broadcasting is be able to articulate on behalf of something. And so when all this medical stuff happened with my family, like, you know, we had been so fortunate and it was just like, I felt like I got thrown into the middle of it, but it was like, I was like weirdly prepared somehow. I don't, I'm not going to say like, it's been easy. It's not been easy at all. But I think that everyone has kind of like looked to me to be the strength at a lot of times when everybody felt helpless. I, I just, I believe I'm very hopeful. I'm optimistic. I feel like and it's kind of like watching that game, like when I was, in, and I'm like, I'm going to be out there. And it's just kind of like you, you envision it and you don't stop believing. 
and I guess that can sound corny, but it's not. It's not if you believe it. No, I don't think it is either. You know, and here we are. And, you know, my family's going through another very difficult time um, with my brother. And, you know, my mom just healed, you know, and she's still still healing. But she's so tough and she, you know, she doesn't ask for anything. She wants she wants to take care of my brother. And I'm like, Mom, you know, take a break. <laughs> you know, I'll go down there every, every now and then cook for them and take care of them. But, yeah, I mean, th- there's a lot of hardships you can say with sports and, you know, and f- you know f- sitting down and having that conversation with the coach about exactly. transfer. That's tough. That's tough. That is very tough. At that age? Yeah. Yes. Um, and it kind of just, it's a little bit, little moments of that and just tough times or, you know, difficult decisions you have to make or just getting up at 5 a.m. to run and you hate it. And it just kind of gives you this layer of toughness. And I think that, you know, it's not always easy, but I think that I have the capacity to take on some things and, you know, take it for, take care of the family. Got to. Yes. When was it in broadcasting that you're doing your job and it hits you like, oh my goodness. I'm a broad. I'm a sports broadcaster. <laughs> or, or was yeah. there ever a moment like that? Are you still going through that? Uh, I'm. I think that the a more recent moment for me was somebody really respected in industry got into the business Hall of Fame coach, and he would and he reached out to me and he goes, nobody but will be honest with me. They all see me as a Hall of Fame coach. Watch what I'm doing. Do you think I suck or not? <laughs> and I was like, okay. And so I would watch and I'm like, you talk too much, you know? And so I think that that's when I kind of was like, wow, he valued my opinion enough. So I must be doing something right. But also it's a business that there can be little feedback. You know, I listened to Kelsey Riggs on your show and she was talking about, she had a lot of feedback. I'm like, man, feedback can be very hard in this business. And you go from playing sports where it's constant feedback to a very competitive industry where there's very little feedback. Sometimes no feedback means you're doing great, <laughs> which is weird because you're weird. like, yes. is there, you know, most businesses have reviews it, yeah, or awards, incentives? Yeah, yes. sure. At the end of the year, like, you, you need some pats on the Am I doing back. okay? Yeah, exactly. You know? <laughs> knock, knock. Hello, hello. <laughs> but I think you start to, you know, I've formed really good relationships with the people that I work with. And, you know, there's things that I know that I can work I mean, you can always... Um, yeah, so how do you evaluate yourself then? Do you go back and watch? I used to. I still will, will um, certain interviews or how I delivered it. Now I think that once, and I think that I see the game through a, a very unique lens in that some people come from a very high profile and that's a lot of pressure. Like somebody was a really star player and they see the game from a different lens from their experience. Well, I played at Division two level, the junior college level, and then a power five. I was a walk-on, you know, like I have a lot of different lenses to kind of view the game. So I can understand the kid that doesn't play a lot, why she feels this way, and then kind of just view it a, a different way that I don't think a lot of people do. And so I think that that kind of gives me my own little niche. You know, I was talking to Debbie Antonelli the other day, and she goes, I thought you played for four to four years. I'm like, Debbie, I went to three schools. She goes, <laughs> Jesus. I'm like, yeah, I know. Uh, um, but, you know, you kind of you, you see the game through a different lens. So I think now at this point in my career, I value how I view it. And it's just kind of like keeping yourself up to speed. I like going back and watching how I delivered. How did I ask this question? Or how could I ask something a little bit better? Because in the art of television, it is no longer, I shouldn't say it's no longer. Sometimes it can be more about what will get the best reaction and the best answer as opposed to what's the, what's the question I should, 
I shouldn't say what I should ask because sometimes you got to ask that question. You Maria do. Taylor knows, but you know, yes. you ask the question. It's not going to be fun, but I think that now it's just kind of like understanding the art of television because when you come in as a fresh person, you understand basketball. You played your whole life. It's like, but what sets you apart is like how you talk, how you deliver. You know, how are you? How is your on-air presence? Yes. You know, all that stuff, stuff that you're not really thinking about probably in your 20s. And I was so young. I was thrown on TV, 24, 25. I know. I mean, just- No idea. Right out there. Like you said, No, you there's know, the red light. No go. broadcasting background. Uh, my my SID at Florida was like, it was just like 2013. And I'd come back from overseas. And she was like, well, a uh, Disney Wild World of Sports down in Orlando, they have a studio there, ESPN does, and they want young broadcasters that could be color analysts. And she goes, would you be interested? Can I give them your name? I said, sure. Went down there and they're like, all right, 13 games, 13 <laughs> games. And like I said, you know, first game I'm sitting there, I'm like, I have, I have no idea. I would be probably horrified if I went back and looked at those games. You're, you're talking about 2017 <laughs> yeah, podcast. I, I don't want to even look at the 2013, 2014 footage. Oh, we got to find that. <laughs> uh, no, my dad probably has it somewhere, but it's just, you know, long process, but understanding television now we're kind of learning the art of directing and producing i've become really close with a few producers and directors would love to have an interest there getting more behind the scenes producing directing i think that's what i know i've been talking a lot rich Just no you haven't that's that's that entrepreneurial that creating thing creative so, so type, I, yeah yes, yes i could see my that. father and me yeah. um that as a sideline reporter you're kind of the ears and eyes and ears of what you know you're fellow broadcasters can't necessarily see you're here, but I, I noticed that I, I started to learn and understand, you know, directing and like the shots. And, you know, I'd become really good friends with Brad Wilson, who's a director for ESPN. He's fantastic. And I would be like, hey, let's get this shot. Let's get, you know, we we worked so well together and it makes for better television. And I think that that's one thing you don't, I mean, I didn't know. And then until you're like in that spot and you start to learn you, and you get in with a good team. Well, and I think the, the aspect of even if it's just in a short period of time, how can you tell the story the best? And the, the storytelling right. aspect is important, even if it's only, you know, that you, you've got 30 seconds to go over this highlight. Yeah. But you want to do it in a way that tells the story that you think would be the most impactful. Yeah. And that's that's part of that whole creative side. And, yeah. you know, you're saying, yeah, I want that shot. Right. <laughs> you know, well, you know, there's a lot of moments, too, in basketball games that, you know, I I'll, I can tell a difference from especially last year because I was doing some sideline. and I'm kind of like a hybrid sideline analyst, reporter, whatever. And then I'll be in the studio or I'm calling game games as an analyst. So it's three kind of different hats that you're wearing. But you're just talking about basketball, but it's a little bit different approaches but when you're on when you're sideline and you you can kind of see different things, you can help tell a story. Hey, I'm hearing Carolyn Peck talk about this. I, I I can see this over here. Let's get this shot. And so I think that comes back to like playing and it's like setting screens helps get someone open. I don't need the assist. Like let's make good television. Like I want the audience to really you know I don't I don't care. Like let's just make a good show or getting a rebound and lose tips something like that. So I think it all kind of comes back to your roots of like what you love. And it's basketball. Well, and that's why it's easy for you to talk about it. Well, right? yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's the game that kind of gave me a space when I didn't necessarily, I mean, I was always, I was good at sports, but I wasn't necessarily somebody who had a busy social schedule. So it kind of gave me a home, kind of like it gave you a home. Yes, it definitely gave me a home. Now, but so you didn't have, you didn't have guys all over you in high school and stuff. I mean, you're blonde, uh, all that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I just, I feel like maybe I was just a little bit 
socially awkward. Like I didn't have a lot of friends and, you know, I was obviously very dedicated to sports. Mm -hmm. So I, you know, I did say I didn't have a boyfriend at the time, <laughs> but um, I, I was just kind of like socially awkward and, you know, I had a little sister and a big brother and they had a lot of friends around, but I don't know. I guess I just kind of stuck to myself a little bit, but you know. Well, that's driven. what makes you the middle child. Oh, you know? of course, middle child. It comes back <laughs> to that middle child. When you make this podcast, make sure it says middle child. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's your bio title, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> How was your experience in France? Very interesting. We had two pros on our team. You know, I, I spent, so I graduated from Florida. I went to a couple combines, tried my best to get on a team, did a training camp for Atlanta Dream. They needed a point guard in the center. I was out. So I went, ended up going over to, Europe, went to France. I had German citizenship so I could actually be a third American because I counted as a Euro. But, the you know, going overseas is a really interesting process. You don't get to, like, go and see what you're going to experience before you sign the dotted line. Like, you're you going to, to a before. team. Yeah. I thought I was going to, like, a bigger town and, you know, it's going to be in France. I can go to Paris all the time. And I'm like, <laughs> no. So I, you know, s signed the dotted line, got on a plane. Guy from the team picked me up, took me to a town about thousand people. No one spoke English, and you know I was so young. And the two people on my team were were veterans. Um, we had a great team. I was in a, the the best French league there, but it just wasn't for me. I mean, we had two a days. It just, I think, it all goes back to, are you happy doing what you do? Do you enjoy it? And I think at that point I was probably a little bit burnt out, and I just wasn't enjoying it. So I called my dad and my dad's good for advice, like in situations like this. And he says, it's not personal. You know, this is a business decision for you. You feel That's it's right. best for you to move on. Then they will find someone else within a day. They already had someone else on my spot. So I spent about half a season there. And it, evidently it's pretty common where people go over there and they either love it or they don't. And I just, for me, um, I didn't necessarily enjoy it. And so that was really, and that was like the last time I really competed. And that was like 2012. They were like, do you miss it? No. You don't? No. Some moments when I'm calling games and like the crowd and the, man, I love that. Like I loved that. It's the that big energy, moment, right? the big moment, give me the ball, let me, let, me, let me make the shot. I miss that. And it's like that competitive, that competitive feeling, kind of like you clapping your hands. <laughs> Exactly. That moment. Just that one. That I got to get that perfect, you know? right? <laughs> so it's it's uh, some of those things that really get your juices going. But no, I mean, I, I life happens for a reason. And then you're kind of in a new, new spot. I like where I'm at. Love sports. Have many interests outside of sports. Like you know? what? Um, well, coming from a family of entrepreneurs, my dad being in the, in the food business, um, my sister married a chef and we're opening a restaurant. I went in with, uh, as an investor with them and we're opening a restaurant. And so her and him are, that's their, that that's their Atlanta? baby. It'll be in Jacksonville. in Jacksonville. All my family pretty much lives in Jacksonville. It's where a lot of them are. And so that's happening in the winter. So I've been working a lot with them on, on, on the restaurant. It's kind of their baby, but my sister and I have plans to kind of maybe eventually have a restaurant group, have a, a lot of different concepts. So I think that sports has been great. It's definitely laid, you know, laid the foundation for who I am as a person. But I think that, you know, you know, ultimately there's, there's other things that I want to do. There's, you know, there's nonprofits I want to start. I mean, I got a, a lot of things, but supporting my sister and their the, the restaurant coming up is going to be really fun. It's really exciting. So it's kind of, you can see why a lot of athletes get into a lot of different things or, you know, and other businesses. Kind of like how you have your business yes. and then this is, 
you know, what fuels the this fire is an for outlet. you. That's right. This is what fuels yes. your fire. And I think that going out and doing different things, being su- successful at them is definitely what fuels mine. Well, and I think there's an aspect of that's what keeps your energy level high. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you don't get in a rut. You don't get, you know, just complacent and, you know, apathy can set in. Even, you know, for me from the medical device sales yeah. side, I mean, I've been doing it for, you know, quite a while. And this doing the podcast type stuff allows me to continue that type of the, the energy, the outlet or yeah. whatever yeah. You know, that uh, I can have that will help, you know, in my other activities yeah. that, that I enjoy. Have you noticed a dip during the COVID that slacking some of that has affected you? It's interesting you ask that because I just had a conversation with a buddy and especially in a sales aspect, it, you're face to face, you're, you know, it's relationships. Mm-hmm. That's definitely part of it. Right. And I would have to say, I've definitely started feeling, and I, I don't want to say like, um, no, not not depressed or anything, yeah. but there's definitely been a feeling of just like a cloud over me, a mm-hmm. uh, little bit of malaise or, you know, apathy to a certain degree. Yeah. My, even from a perspective of like going running, working out, I, I've slacked off little bit like, nah, I'm just not going to do it today. Yeah. And I'm usually very disciplined enough where, nope, once I set my mind to it, yeah. that, that's it. I, I, I'm doing it. And, you know, I think part of it was with everything that happened, especially in the medical industry, things shut down. Yeah. You know, surgeries shut down for a period of time and now even they're coming back, but you have limited access to getting in front of people, you know, especially going into hospitals and because in our industry, I mean, we would go into the operating room and uh, assist the surgeon from a technical aspect. Yeah. And so you don't necessarily have that same type of opportunities now, you know, so you're, you're missing out on that personal interaction, so to speak. Yeah. And that does affect you. Yeah. I think that's, you know, I I don't necessarily know where you fall on, on, athletes who want to play, but you kind of, you start to understand when you work so hard and it's kind of like, this is what I'm working towards is, you know, I'm not, maybe I won't get these opportunities again. And it's, and where will football fall and with college basketball and, you know, our season just, especially on the college side of, of last March, it just got cut. And in women's college basketball, you know, we had two really good teams in Oregon and South Carolina. Those teams I don't, I'm sure Don said he's like, I'm never going to know and it's going to bother her. To, I'm sure you know has this for to, a fact. Yes, has to eat her up. It, and, you know, that was one of the best teams I've seen since I've been working in uh, broadcasting and we'll never know. I know. So, well, when you and I met, it was at the yeah, SEC tournament in dominating. Greenville and they were dominating. And then after that weekend, that's when Done. everything shut down. And it was, that was the talk within South Carolina, you know, the whole state. Oh, yeah. That just can't, you know, what uh, a disappointing situation that happened for South Carolina because yeah. this could have been one of the all-timers. Oh, yeah. From that perspective. You know, that was such a weird month, too, because I'd seen you at the SEC tournament. just going through a lot with my family. Like, wasn't, you know. And you've got this guy harassing you. No, no, no. It's not <laughs> even that. It was just like. You didn't know what was going to happen. You, I heard like rumblings about like the coronavirus, and I actually was um, because of the that time I took off for my brother. I had 
after the SEC tournament, I had three conference tournaments to cover in like six days. And so I had already mapped all my tra uh, travel out. And so I did one conference tournament game and then I was supposed to get on a plane to New York City. And that was right as the men's SEC tournament was taking place. And they canceled that morning. So I'm in line to get on the flight and I was like, I'm not getting on. I didn't get on the flight. You didn't. And then all of them got canceled. Glad I didn't get stuck in New York City. Of course. You know, but it, like it was just such a weird thing. And I just, I know everybody that works in this landscape is like a little uncertain because we all want to be safe. We all want to protect everybody. There's just so many things, so many ways sports affects us, touches us, and the athletes we interact with. And then our jobs are and, and our people that we work with. And so, you know, I'm, I'm just curious as to what's going to happen. And it's a little anxious. I kind of feel you on that. Um, my ability to work out kind of got taken from well, me. Well, yes, so, that's you know, a whole different. I'll make it work. But <laughs> yeah. Now, did you do your leg day though? I did do leg day. Yes, yeah. there you go. Yeah. That's discipline. You gotta, how you do squats is you wear this belt <laughs> and you attach a kettlebell. And then you have, that's how I'll still squat. But I'll lose my mind if I don't work out. Now, I, I am the same way. Yeah, so I still I, at least get out there. My but sanity. It, it has affected me, you know, from that perspective. Yeah. Now, have they shared much in terms of what? It's. I think football is kind of leading the way. Yeah. Um, That's going to be the domino. Yeah. If that happens, then there's potential. Yeah. I think that um, if they can do a pretty good job and then we might have a late start. It's kind of what I've kind of heard. Maybe we just start, we just do conference in January. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, March is really where the NCAA, I mean, that's March Madness and the, the tournament. I mean, you, having skipped two tournaments you know, that's, uh, I don't, I don't know if we can, we can do that again. Um, it, well, in business a, standpoint too. It, from a business standpoint, yeah. for sure. I, I just remember it, from a, you know, person who loves basketball and when they canceled March Madness, obviously there was talk, wow, crazy that they're canceling March Madness. And, you know, some of the basketball proponents were, right. you know, talking about it, but it seemed like it only was talked about for like three or four days. And then the conversation quickly turned to, well, as long as they don't cancel football come right. fall. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm like, yeah. wait a second. Yeah. We just canceled March Madness. Yeah. There's no champion. Yeah. And, and people are automatically now talking about, well, you know, it's, that's basketball. We just will make sure we have college football yeah. in the fall. I think, and, and, a learning lesson for some people who kind of closely follow other sports is just what a driving factor financially what f college football does for every other program because people assume that men's college basketball makes all this money and it's you know there's not a lot of programs i mean there's, there's some there's that are profitable few, yeah um not as many women's i mean i'm not necessarily sure of of how many profitable women's you know and so you rely a lot on football to kind of pave the way and so I just, you know, I just hope that we can all, you know, ride this thing out and get to a better place. It's just been such a, a weird time and you realize how much you miss sports, but I'm optimistic. Are you optimistic? I am optimistic. Yeah. For whatever reason, I would have to say though, like today I'm optimistic. Yeah. I go through a little bit of a roller coaster ride. So do I. And some days I'm like, nope, not happening. Yeah. Not happening. And then, but today I'm like, yeah, I think, I think it's going to happen. Yeah. And and maybe today is one of the days that I haven't really followed a whole lot of either social media or listening to the radio or whatever it is. You yeah. know, so I don't know if that impacts me as well. Do you find it odd? And we don't have to like get into like too much politics, but like, do you find it odd that it, could, it has become so political? 
in the sports world when it's what we're dealing with is, you know, it's a virus. And I mean, because it, I mean, go ahead. It's amazing how it has come together in terms of how politics is actually taking over, I think, the conversation Mm -hmm. of what's really happening. And people are making it political, I should say. Yeah. I think that's my my point is that uh, it, it is becoming more of a political conversation yeah. than it is about the virus itself. Yeah. I just never thought like taking a, a stance, I guess, or a viewpoint is like wanting athletes to play. Going back in time, if I was 18, 19, 20, I'd want to play. I want to go too. get on campus, yes. you know, and I would, I, I would want to be with my teammates. I feel like I would be in a safe environment. And- it's weird that that is a contra- – I'm not saying it's controversial, but I think that some people have pause that that's not safe, it's not best, blah, blah, blah. And it's like um, I didn't – it's it's a weird time to just like so, – I, I, I would want to play. I would want to play you know? as, as well. And and I, I don't – and I respect people that say they wouldn't want to play. Yeah. You know, I completely understand that. Uh, but I do think there is a – there's a true dividing line. I mean, you're on one side or the other, it seems right now. Yeah. And that, and that's it. And I, I just feel that there's also some hypocrisy that's going on as well, especially you know, when the Big Ten, the Pac-12 decide mm-hmm. they're not going to play their games and other conferences say they are. And, you know, it was all about, oh, well, these, these teams or, you know, these conferences, it's just all about the money for them. And we know, obviously, it's a big business. We, yeah. we mentioned that a little bit, especially with college football. But then you see some of these smaller conferences decide, and I, I can talk about this because it's within the state of South Carolina. So the yeah. Southern Conference made the decision, we're not going to play college football. Okay. But each school, you have the ability, if you want to play four non-conference games, you can. And so Clemson is playing Citadel. And... I am looking at it, okay, how in the world can you make the decision to not play a full season, but if you want to go play a conference, a non-conference game, because we know for Citadel playing Clemson, that's a money game. That's a guarantee game. They're going to get, you know, a lot of money to, uh, to play Clemson. And it's the same people now are saying, well, those schools depend on these games you know, for the money. And I'm like, well, wait a second. You were just saying that you were yeah. just, uh, you're blasting yeah. the other conferences. Yeah. But it's about the health. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's a really odd time and you want to be like very respectful and cautious. And, and especially because in my house alone, I have two people at risk, my mom and my brother. Yes. So it's not like I'm out here just like, oh, let's let them play. Like don't test yeah, them. Really it's just nilly. like, it's, it's not that like I, 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 it, it is very odd to me that I, that you can go on campus as a regular student and play intramurals, and there's no necessarily a concern. But for playing college athletics, you know, we're we're in this like huge war over it, and I think that everybody wants the same thing. But I don't know. It's just been, you know, I just kind of try to stay out of it a little bit. You know, I, you can go real deep down the oh, you do. Twitter you be alley. Very like, careful. <laughs> I've done it a few times. I'm like, it's just really not worth it. I mean, there's it's not. It's it's not. I I tend to like not take to social media on on most topics but and even just asking questions people get mad they do and i'm like especially I just, on twitter i would just that, i just want to know yeah. if we started paying football players and they started taking revenue what happens to all the other sports 
And by asking that, people get mad. And I think it's just a basic question. Like a good friend of mine who has a former player and she's a AD now at a big power five. And he was telling me a story. I'm not going to say who it was, but it was really awesome what, what the share that he's, the story that he shared with me. And, you know, she was, you know, wanted to hear her players and she wanted to understand where they were coming from. And her takeaway was, I'm not, I'm not in the slogan business, I'm in the solution business. And I thought that that is such a great way to approach this because I want solutions. Like I'm on the team of, let's, what can we do? That's right. Figure this out. Let's, let's do something. And I think that, you know, we're both on social media and we can see that sometimes it's this toxic hellhole of everybody complaining, but no one offering solutions. It's not my, not my game. That's not what I want to be in. (laughs) I want to figure out how to do it and let's do it. You know? That's right. Well, I love that. uh, Not in slogans into solutions. That's a great uh, quote. That's leadership to me. That is leadership. Yeah. Do you have any other types of words of wisdom that you've leaned on over the years and phrases, mottos, quotes, or just life advice that has helped you? Um, I was having a conversation the other day with somebody and I was like, if you could give a TED talk, what would your topic be? I'm going to ask you yours. And oh, then I'll say, here we go. So you're asking me right I'm now. I'm asking you, or I'll give you mine as okay. if, as if I'm qualified to give a TED talk. But oh, it's you are. Like, what's yes, the, you are. We're what's all qualified. Ad, what's the advice? I think I would do like a, the self-preservation of believing in yourself because it becomes a lost art. I feel like with what social media can do to you, your confidence and your self-esteem, I think that it's becoming a lost art to just be original and be yourself, be confident and all those things because you see people get taken down all the time. And so I think that would be just believing in yourself. I don't I don't have a quote per se, but um, that's kind of been the story of my life because I've been counted out a lot of different times. And the only thing that I bet on was myself. And that's all you can sometimes. That's so. right. Well, because that's something that you can control. I'm a right. big believer in control the inputs. Okay. And that is definitely, you know, something is that your that... TED talk? <laughs> yes, control your exactly. inputs? Okay. I'll turn in control 15 minutes. Yes. Okay. I like uh, it. So before I give my topic then on my okay. TED talk, it, you, you talk about that believing in yourself. So is there also been a part of what motivates you is people doubting you? Yeah. Or yeah. people that believe in you and you want to prove them right or... Prove the I've people. always wanted to prove people wrong. I think that my coach at Florida wanted to challenge me my senior year because she kind of pointed out to me, you've bounced around and you've proven a lot of people wrong, but can you prove them right? And it was kind of like a dose of truth serum where you kind of are like, you know, I'm like, <laughs> you're right. And so I think it's been a lot of like proving people wrong. I get into broadcasting. I'm not, I didn't get into broadcasting school. Laura Rutledge did. Laura Rutledge is hosting NFL Live. Like she's fantastic. You know, I didn't get... Some of those reps, you know, mine came on air, but at the same time, you know, I wouldn't necessarily change it, but I don't, I'm getting off, I'm getting off topic, but yeah. No, that's absolutely, yeah. So it, I, I figure that that would be the case that it was proving about people proving people wrong. Yeah. I'm built the same way because I had heard the same things growing up a, yeah. as well that no, you can't do that. And, yeah. you know, and so I was like, all right, well, that's going to motivate me. I think me the hard more. part is to do it when people think you can do it and rising up and delivering. That's, that's. When you're, uh, when you become, I feel like when you become pretty elite, you know, that's why, you know, some of the stars and when we expect you to do this, Trevor Lawrence, when we yes. expect you to do this and he goes out there and he does his that's thing. That's a whole nother level. You know, that's when you're getting into an elite category. I'm not in that category. <laughs> yeah, I'm not here. <laughs> you're on your <laughs> way <day>. though. <laughs> that's One right. One day. You're on yeah. your way. Who did you look up to from a playing perspective? 
Who did you want to emulate? Little bit of Sue Bird, a little Diana Taurasi, Cheryl Swoops. It's a weird combo. Yes, it is. Love Cheryl Swoops. Sue Bird, I wore 10 in high school because my coach said, hey, Sue Bird, she's pretty good. I didn't necessarily know at the time. Um, and then Diana Taurasi growing up. I mean, t- I mean, UConn, Tennessee, those, te- those teams were so much fun to watch. So I, I would say the- that swag that Taurasi plays with. And then, you know, Sue was such a great passer. And then Cheryl Swoops was a great scorer. So I think, you know, growing up, it wasn't even limited to just women. It was kind of like, I love Dennis Rodman. One of my jerseys at home, his, his ability to rebound. I mean, I love rebounding. Oh, you did? Yeah. I, I loved rebounding. Um, I remember when I got to France, uh, my coach was like, why do you, why do you rebound? And I was like, <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> you don't have to rebound. I'm like, I like rebounding, you know? And she's like, you don't have to. You know, and it was just like such a, that was like such a weird experience, but. Um, you did a good impersonation there though. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like this like, you know, kid from Florida and I go to like Northern France and they were like, why are you here? There's no sun. I'm like, what do you mean? There's no, you know, I didn't <laughs> like, know anything. <laughs> it's snowy and there's no sun. And they're like, we love Florida. And I'm like, well, I, whatever. But yeah, those are some of the people I looked up to, up to. And then, you know, my brother and I would always impersonate people when we were out shooting in the backyard, you know. When did it, or were you ever able, I mean, <laughs> if I could talk here, were you <laughs> able, or when were you able to beat your brother? I'm going to phrase it that way. So he kept, he kept getting taller and taller. And I kind of was a label. I actually grew in college. I was kind of like 5'7", five, 5'8", five, going into college. Ended up being like 5'10", five, 5'10 ten, five, ten and a half. There was times like we could, I would go toe to toe with him, but you know, at six four, one ninety, like, um, I think I could beat him from outside and get a little bit quicker, and then he blocked my shot. But him and I were so competitive. I mean, video games, you know, we'd be on the same team, and I remember he was the tallest, I was the quickest, and so he'd get the rebound, and I would run down the court. He'd do the football pass. I'd have to catch it and make the layup. I didn't make that thing. He would be screaming at me. I would be crying my eyes out. Mom's like, bless your heart. I felt so bad. You'd be crying in the middle of the game and it's because your brother. I'm like, God. But you know, he made me, he made me so tough. And um, so that was just so funny to remember back. Like, you know, because we didn't have girls leagues. I had to play with everybody else. And it was like, you know, make that layup. Have to. So the pressure. Yeah. Go through layup lines in college. I'm like, remember when it was. <laughs> oh, this is easy. <laughs> yeah. Right. You don't even know about my layups. <laughs> That's right. All right. We're going to wrap up here. Okay. So you, I heard you mention wearing a LeBron jersey. Yeah. So where do you land goat wise, MJ or LeBron? Or throw Kobe in there. Ooh. You know, I heard Brooke Wisebro talk about Wisebro, right? Mm-hmm. She said LeBron will have more rings than Michael. I think that's what I heard her say. I was like, that's an interesting take. I think Michael Jordan is the best, will always be the best. I don't, it's tough to think LeBron gets six. That's tough um, I don't see in it today's NBA landscape. Um, after watching that documentary, I don't know, I'm sure you watched it. I mean, I think everyone watched it. It works in sports. It, it, it's never been more clear why he's the best, you know, just the way that he approached everything, the games, like his mentality, and what made him so different. So I think, you know, Kobe's in that conversation. Um, I would go probably Michael, LeBron at the end of his career, Kobe, but Mike, Michael Jordan, I mean, come on. I don't think it's a debate. 
I don't either. Hey, you brought it up though. I did, but I are don't you, think, are you LeBron? Oh, I'm MJ all the way. MJ? Yeah, okay. Oh yeah, MJ all the okay. way. I don't even think it's even close. I think MJ's the most transcendent player we've ever seen. Uh, when you have a situation where you've got stellar all-star players like a Derek Jeter wearing your brand, mm. <laughs> you yeah. know, making the yeah. transition from basketball to baseball field. I mean, that, that's just showcasing just yeah. how impactful he was uh, to so many different people, even outside of the game of basketball yeah. throughout the world. What was your favorite part of the documentary before we wrap up here? Oh, uh, For those of who haven't watched it, you have to watch it. Yeah, you have to watch The Last Dance. I, I guess for me, because I grew up in that era and mm -hmm. I was the biggest Michael Jordan fan. Okay. When I say the biggest Michael Jordan fan. How many I, jerseys did you have? Oh, I, I think I had probably uh, six at the time. And now this was in the 80s where getting jerseys, that wasn't like a big thing. Yeah. And so I, I had, uh, I think it was six and I had every pair of Air Jordans when they first came out. I remember. You're loyal. Okay. Oh yeah. I loyal to the brand. When I first, <laughs> in 1986, got the first pair that came out. I was the only person in my school that had them. Uh, at the time because nobody really liked them. And so for me, I had this personal connection because I was such a huge Michael Jordan fan. And when I say huge, I took a birthday cake to school when it was Michael Jordan's birthday. Wow. <laughs> yes, that's, in high school. <laughs> that's next level. Hey, that is next yeah. level. Man, I might, I might have to edit that out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. Woo. Exactly. Uh, that's funny. But my uh, watching that documentary, it brought me back to my childhood yeah. and being in middle school and high school and reliving a lot of those memories of staying up and watching everything that I could of Michael Jordan. And it wasn't like it is today where you can see all this film. I mean, I had to, you know, try to record search. stuff yeah. and search. I mean, it was hard to get, you know, film and, and watch the content that was out there. And so for me, the very last scene is, it was actually emotional to me. I actually got choked up because I was remembering all of those things and a lot of just even trials and tribulations that I was going through mm -hmm. during that and how, to a certain degree, basketball and Michael Jordan helped me get through uh, some of the tough times in my childhood. And so for him sitting there and he's looking out the window and you've got the Pearl Jam song going and you're seeing all these highlights throughout his career yeah. and it's all just, you know, coming, you know, and just coming to the very end and he's holding up the trophy, the six championships and all of that. And then it just shows him standing up yeah. and walking, you know, away. It, yeah. That was magical for me and emotional. It yeah. really was. It was probably like, role model idol as a young kid yes. growing up you know going through hard times 100 percent. so watching that was probably like reliving a lot of that but also watching your idol again it was uh, a, i wouldn't say like uh uh maybe it was therapeutic yeah it probably, it probably was you know and yeah. and the fact that i could now share it with my kids mm. you know and but they're like Dad, what, what, are you, what are you doing? He's not LeBron. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I've got tears running yeah. down my face. They're like, they don't know about the cake. <laughs> they don't right. know about the cake. You got to tell them about the cake. I had to share that with them, right? <laughs> yes. And so it was just interesting to, yeah. you know, to be able to share that with them, yeah. you know, from that perspective. Okay. What was your favorite part? I thought um, learning 
how the behind the scenes of what made Phil Jackson such a good coach, letting Dennis Rodman go off and do his, I don't know what he did, but whatever he needed to do, knowing he would come back for, I think it was a game seven, or, you know, they kind of jam-packed, you know, some of those parts with, with him. But what a what a fantastic coach dialing everyone in, but also letting Michael Jordan, you know, do his thing. And it, it just kind of goes to show, like, how much coaching matters and especially at that level of managing all those different personalities and like watching them cohesively work to win championships. I thought that that was, you know, we're just watching Michael Jordan, but the orchestra, but the guy who's leading is Phil Jackson and and keeping everybody together. So I thought that that was really interesting. That's something I didn't necessarily know or pay attention to. That's a great point because I did pick up on that as well. I looked at it from a perspective of, just he just came across as just the ultimate wisdom guy, just the wise leader right. that was holding everything together. And it and as much as everybody, uh, especially me at that time uh, as well, is like, what are they doing? Getting you know breaking up this team? This is absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. But it almost seemed he knew that this was the right time mm. to, that the team should should go mm-hmm. in its own separate ways and. As much as I would love to see the Bulls continue, I think it probably was the yeah. time to move on yeah. and start a new chapter. And I think he saw that and knew yeah. that. I think that's why my takeaway was kind of looking at coaches now because coaches now are kind of coaching 12 to 13 different unique brands. Everybody has their own unique brand. And back then it was kind of like, you know, MJ had his huge company, you know, Nike and then Jordan and then, you know, Scotty and, you know, some and then even... Dennis Rodman and Steve Kerr. I mean, they were just kind of like players. Like now it's just like everybody is a brand, especially in the NBA. Like everybody with social media, everyone has their voice and platform. And it's like coaches, that's a tough job. You know, we're seeing good coaches now getting, you know, fired. And then Ty Lue will come in and coach. You know, it's just like next up. All right, give it a go again. You know, that's right. It's always, oh, yeah, the problem is the coach. Right. Well, I don't it's just know a different landscape. It's a different way. landscape now. So I yeah. think you kind of had, had appreciation for Phil Jackson, what he did. But, Agreed, one hundred percent. And so th- that reminded me then uh, of the wisdom of Phil Jackson. Going back to your question, what was my TED talk? Yes. yes, the value of mentors. Ooh, yeah, that's a good one. Be intentional about seeking out mentors. Okay, it's very important. I'll, I'm going to follow up. <laughs> I think you should have someone on. That's right. <laughs> Steffi, thank you so much. Thanks for having me, This has been an honor. Appreciate it. Thank you. We all go through various trials and tribulations in our lives, and many times we can get to a point where we do lose that self-confidence. But as Steffi describes, having that ability to preserve the belief in yourself will not only help you face the difficulties today, but it can even help you face the challenges in the future when you might have to maintain that walk-on mentality to prove people wrong. Now that finishes episode 143, and you can also watch some of our episodes by visiting our Rich Take on Sports YouTube channel. And remember, focus forward so we don't live in the past. All the best, everyone. You've been listening to Rich Take on Sports, the sports podcast with life. Visit richtakeonsports.com to subscribe and catch up on any episodes you might have missed. You can also follow us on Twitter at Rich Takes Sports. Thanks for listening.